I have the pleasure of interviewing Sarah Barfraz today, and welcome, Sarah, to WLRN. Thank you so much, Thistle. I'm so glad to be talking to you. Great. Could you briefly describe a little bit about yourself and what you've been facing as a college student in the last few years? Sure. So I'm 22 now. When I first got to college, uh, I got into uh, my dream school, which was Smith College. It's a women's college in Massachusetts. And when I first got there, after my first semester, I decided I wanted to check out what the political organizations were. And I found the one that had, you know, the most lesbians and that seemed, you know, really active. It turned out to be an organization that was pushing for men to be admitted into our women's college. I didn't realize that at the time. I got very involved in the trans movement specifically. And over the years, as I have sort of defected from that movement because of the overwhelming sexism and other issues in the movement, I've watched this debate become, you know, more and more polarized. And having been on both uh, sort of sides of it, I've sort of got a very um, a very deep window into um, all of the dynamics going on on campuses right now. So, what was the name of the group that you joined at Smith College, and the history of how it formed, and what motivated your participation at the time? Sure. So, the group was called Queers and Allies. By the time I joined, I came to an interest meeting to see what was what it was about. And, it had already been shortened to Q&A to stand for question, trans women at Smith, answer, trans women at Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, <laughs> and this organization was not about careers and allies. They, they took this old uh, student organization charter, um, as far as I know, and repurposed it basically in support of this man named Kalati Wong, who was my age at the time and was very upset that he would not be um, admitted to Smith College because of the documentation that he had that um, said, you know, that he was male. So this organization, the student organization at Smith uh, Q&A, formed in uh, in the spring of my first year uh, to support him. And uh, by my sophomore year, I was a co-chair of the organization. Um, and we did things like uh, we called it education, but really just sort of spreading the gender identity ideology. Um, we did rallies uh, to sh- you know show our support for the men we were calling our trans sisters at the time. We met with lots of different national leaders of the trans movement, and we did a lot of you know lobbying with the administration to make the policy changes that these men uh, decided that they needed. So I actually spent uh, a great amount of time and energy for this cause only to um, to sort of slowly and then uh, very powerfully realize that it was not a feminist cause and that it was not, that it was actually very harmful to the very women's college that I loved so much. So, uh, so that was sort of a process I can talk about um, as well. But what really motivated my participation at the time was, you know, being, you know, my my whole psyche was very uh, embedded in the, the trans politics that we were being taught. And at the time, I didn't really know about critiques of trans politics other than that if you critique it, you're a terrible 
turf, and then you don't want to be that, so stay in line, right? Mm -hmm. So at the time, you know, I thought, I'll just sort of list what my mindset was, what all of our mindsets were, which is that trans women are real women. There's no debate about that. They're some of the most oppressed women on earth, that anyone who calls themselves a woman automatically is a woman, that there's no shared female experience other than identifying as a woman, that uh, gender identity exists outside of gender roles, um, all of these different things, uh, which I now see as absolutely ludicrous. Um, But at the time, they were a dogma that, you know, it, it could not be questioned, and all of our, you know, activism and decisions followed from that dogma that was given to us by the men. Sure. Um, and so and very warped, yeah. <laughs> so how much time did your organization spend on singling out turfs on campus and, you know, shaming women who may question their politics? Sure. So when we were at uh, Smith, there were... No, when when our group first started, there were no actual women who were speaking out against uh, the idea of men being admitted to the college yet, who were actual students. So we would say things like, um, I remember the first time I ever heard the word turf was in a Q&A meeting, and I said, oh, what is that? And I got told, they're old women who um, harass trans women and uh, put up pictures of young young trans girls and try to get them fired or try to get them removed from their school, blah, 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 which is a total projection because in actuality, in the trans movement, if a woman is deemed a tourist, then whatever you do to her is acceptable. And, you know, looking, now that I've actually uh, talked to these women, read their books, read their blogs, read all of this stuff, you know, realizing that 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 was just a total projection. So, And and, and um, how, you know, it strikes me, you know, it strikes me you said old women. They're old women and how gendered that is and how sexist that is because there are women who are critical of gender of all different ages. And, of course, there's this thing about women who stand up for themselves and speak for themselves and maybe are single or maybe they're lesbian. But, you know, aging is a way that women are oppressed. And so that really just strikes me as blatant sexism and sexist stereotyping. When I talk with women who are gender critical, I have noted the age diversity, that these are women coming from multiple generations. So that just struck me when you said that about um, how they defined the term turf and who who is a turf. Right. Um, I mean, it's, so, it, it's very much about, oh, they're all dying out anyway. They're the old-fashioned feminists or this and this and this. And, right, and I didn't, I didn't um, oh, that's not passive that at the time. Right. <laughs> they're all just dying out, uh, even if they're 18 right. years old. I, well, how are they say, dying out if they're 18 yeah. years old? You know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, there's this undercurrent of violence against women in trans politics. Oh, I completely agree. Yes. Um, so how do we so work up the general public about this? Because we all have mothers and grandmothers and sisters and cousins who are female. We all know. Everybody tr- knows who's a woman and who isn't, and we care. There are people in our society who really care about women, and yet they are buying into the the trans politics. What can we do about that? Sure. Um, Well, I think we can encourage women to never stop questioning, no matter who tells them not to question, or no matter who says, look, it's really hateful for you to question this idea. Women need to be skeptical, Um, and I've learned that for myself. You know, never again will I 
join a group or a movement without um, investigating it for myself. And, you know, I think women need to be encouraged to uh, create their own sets of knowledges that are not based off of male politics, like the way that trans politics is coming out of queer politics, which are really, you know, male-centric. And Sheila Jeffries writes so well about this in Unpacking Queer Politics. But I think a lot of women my age adopt queerness and that sort of politics and the trans politics and don't realize that it has never been about us, you know. And when you are joining this male-centric movement that is really based on sexism and on hating women, you know, I guess when we're when we're realizing that, then the treatment of women in the movement and the women who defect from the movement or criticize the movement it makes a lot more sense. You know, it's not it's not random. It's really built into the policy. And it took me a long time to realize that. Right. And so, who's the real hate group here? You know, I hear that your feminist organization at your current college campus, on where you attend, because you transferred from Smith, and you're now at a liberal arts school on the West Coast. But the student union there labeled your feminist group that didn't even fill out the application papers to become an official student organization. So sounds like, you know, it was just like a rumor that you were going to maybe try to be a student group or something, and then you were denounced right. as a hate group. What happened is um, a woman who I'm close friends with now, we actually met each other because of all the backlash. I reached out to her when I saw what was happening. She posted on this uh, forum that's run by the school to ensure that we have a place to all talk about things. She posted, would anyone else want to get together and discuss anti-female sentiments and trans politics? And she even countered in all of this. You know, I, I agree trans women are women. She she just made it the most least, of, you know, the least offensive way she could phrase it for these right. people. Just like and they still responded. Right. And they still responded uh, with violent stuff. They said they called her a bitch. Um, they called they, her a bitch? The, the, yeah. the uh, student union people did? No, the other students who responded students, on the forum. Because it's, and it's then a I public think, forum. Okay. Yeah, well, public to the to the university. To the um, and then, at the university, right. Yes, and then the, the student union, I'm sure someone, you know, sent them the post, and exactly, you know, implying that we had tried to make a group when we hadn't, an official group. Um, so they basically said, we'll never let a hate group form on campus, and all of these things about how um, – you know, trans misogyny is wrong and all of these different things. Wow, after she bent over backwards to say trans women yeah. are women. And, you know, I've encountered That's the thing, same is thing It's here. never enough for them. It's and never it's, enough it for them. It is never enough because, because what is the goal of this politics that we're discussing here? What do you, what do you think the goal of it is? Well, I mean, I thought about that a lot. Um, for them... So they see the problem of gender oppression as babies are given a sex when they're born and then that limits your freedom of expression as an individual uh-huh. instead of the problem being babies are sorted into a violent hierarchy where men oppress us, rape us, kill us, you know, take our resources and all of that. So it's a really depoliticized understanding of gender. And so in a lot of ways, you know, their utopia is, Everyone gets to meditate on what their inner gender identity is, and then it, once that's respected and it's all solved. Interesting. But what if? What about those anyway. people who? So they argue that everybody has a gender identity because yeah. I don't feel female. You know, I I don't like pink, for example. 
which is matched. That's a gender a gender way of looking at female preferences. You know what I mean? And absolutely. So how do you? I just don't. Can you explain that one to me? I just don't get it. Sure. So the way they talk about that is, uh, and this is how I would explain it to people when I went and quote educated them. <laughs> right. I would say. Um, Everyone has an, a gender identity, including cis people. So they say, you know, every time you go and you enter the women's bathroom instead of the men's bathroom, you're declaring your gender identity. And okay. uh, right, so they they're saying that purely by virtue of not calling ourselves something else, that we are asserting our gender identity. Um, and you know, nowadays, now that I'm open about my you know political beliefs, if we're all going around in a class and you know, it's pretty mandatory you have to state your pronoun. Um, you introduce yourself and then state your pronoun. When I say, oh, I'm female or I'm a woman-born woman, you know, I mix it up. <laughs> but I'm always told that that's trans-misogynist. Um, oh, by the yes, teachers yes. or by fellow students or both? Fellow students, fellow students. But teachers have said similar things. And so the idea that your gender identity as a woman is based on your sex and your experience of being female, that's that's considered not acceptable. So it's all about identity. So I don't understand how people cannot understand that this is woman-hating because woman just, it means adult female human being. You know, I think there was not so long ago a common understanding, and if you look it up in the current dictionary, which I would imagine these trans politics people similar to the ones that are in this group that you're describing, which later on in the interview I'd like to ask you, does this Q&A group still exist? And, you know, are there equivalent groups to that kind of group at your current campus? But why can't, why can't they see that this is woman-hating at its, at its core? I mean, and then if you, if you mention that it is, if you point it out, then you immediately are struck down and not able to speak. I mean, I, I just don't understand how people don't understand the logic of what's happening. Well, I think once you see it, a lot of women, including myself, who have been in these, you know, radical, queer, trans communities, we talk about, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee the power dynamic at play. But when you're in it, you're encouraged to, how do I put this, you're encouraged to doubt your own reality, you're encouraged to pretend, or not pretend, but encouraged to train yourself to not, recognize someone's sex when you look at them, even though that's impossible. You're encouraged to, um, any any type of discomfort you have with trans women telling you what to think and telling you to, you know, sit down and shut up and be a good ally. You know, people will say things like, that discomfort you're feeling is the result of your internalized trans misogyny. So they're able to use this kind of feminist speak to basically tell women to doubt their own gut, which is like an age-old male thing, right? right. Um, and there's a woman, um, Max Robinson, who I've been in touch with, who um, is an ex-trans uh, man. She's a detransitioned woman. And she recently wrote a really great article on Fourth Wave Now called Shrinking to Survive and about uh, what it's like for females in these communities. And one of the things she says is um, that as women, you know, going through the grooming process of female socialization, having undergone that, you know, we are so vulnerable to manipulation. And she kind of, it's a great article. She really lists out all the beliefs, like, um, I can go through some of them, like defab privilege, which is designated female at birth privilege. Like, I thought any man who declares that he's a woman automatically is, 
that I'm his oppressor on the access of, of gender because I'm cis. Yet everyone and he's knows trans. that it's men who harm trans women. Everybody knows well, that. Well, that's not, that's not. Um, like, wh- do they have statistics on female violence against trans women? I mean, of do they course have not, but they'll say things no. like, um, so there's Tony Dorsey, who is a, uh, a really popular uh, trans activist blogger. He's an ex-military uh, sniper, um, and he has, you know, all these degrees in gender studies and whatnot. And one of the things he'll say is that, you know, cis women have been creating a genocide of trans women for generations and that we're, you know, they're systemic oppressors. You know, just it's it's so crazy. It's really scary rhetoric. I, yeah. Again, you know, I mean, once you get and you see the mechanics of how it's working, you see that it's really targeting and aiming its um, vitriol towards women. And oh, absolutely, so, and and lesbians too, to a great degree. It's really scary. Yeah, and, and once you I mean, see it, you, you, it's so obvious. Yeah. But they claim I'm not homophobic. I, you know, I'm gender queer. And so I embrace all identities, including gay identity. You know, it's as if everything is an identity. When right. I believe certain things about ourselves are, a, you know, I just, I don't know. This stuff is so weird and confusing. And I, even though I, I, my eyes have been opened, um, because so much hate gets projected onto me, like, constantly in my community mm-hmm. by my peers, yeah which I know you're also experiencing. I, right, I, I think women I across still, the country are, yeah. Women across the country are experiencing this. Um, I still question myself and think, oh, okay, then I must, you know, there, I must be oppressive somehow. I must be, if all of these people are telling me that I'm a hateful bigot, you know, people I've been hanging out with for years, you know. Um, exactly, they get you to doubt yourself. Yeah, it's so hard to just be strong in your truth, and that's kind of why I think it's important for us to speak out, because if women don't know that there's an alternative and don't know that you can um, disagree with this stuff, then they they won't, you know. Right, but the second that you ask a question or disagree, because honestly, Sarah, this whole entire time that I've been going on this journey, which is since 2012, and it sounds like it's been around since then for you too, right? I was just graduating high school in 2012, so uh, like a year after that, yes. Okay. So same period of time, yeah. So the whole time I've been on this um, gender roller coaster ride mm-hmm. in my community here in the Midwest, I've been civil, I've been open-minded, I've been thoughtful, I've been questioning but always coming you know my female socialization has served me well i'm not attacking or Mm. aggressive in my style like some of the other gender critical women out there you know what i mean and i've been in our everyone has their own style prior prior to 2012 i was you know doing a lot of environmental activist work and i i continue to be accepted in the environmental activist community, but people turn, too, as soon as you start talking mm-hmm. about gender. It's this very bizarre groupthink type thing that's going on right now. I right, groupthink is a good word for it. It, it, um, it, feels, it feels like what it must have felt like during the McCarthy era, 
Like, yes. have you or have you ever known somebody or do you know somebody that might be a communist, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um, a there's a great article about um, are you now or have you ever been a turf on the new statesman kind of making that comparison. And one of the scarier parts is it's not even just like, it's not just women who say I'm a radical feminist or I'm critical of the trans movement. It's also women who say male and female or say things like male-bodied or, you know, it, even just using the wrong terminology that was from five years ago that was considered okay five years ago is is now considered enough to make you a turf. And there's this huge idea of there being no no gradient to, to turfness, if you will. Like any turf is just as bad as, you know, the, the boogeyman of Kathy Brown. Right, you know, right. They, they, they really, um, they make you sort of pick sides and, and pick your side that's going totally. to be where you know, agree very, or, or not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very um, combative because they yeah. do. They force you to take sides. It's like I know women in my community who have privately told me they agree with me. They also are questioning all of this new terminology coming out around gender identity, but they're afraid to speak. They're afraid to say yeah. anything. And then they, these women, actually are pushed by social pressure to burn a turf at the stake, which is me. Yes. You know, what, right. there has to be one and I really, be really bad witch in the neighborhood. Yeah. All these other witches are not quite as bad as that one witch, and if we could just mm. take her down then all these other women are going to fall into line. And so right. that's the dynamic that's going on here in my neighborhood. And, and they don't realize that their time will come. They don't realize that, you know, that quote about your silence will not protect you, Audre Lord. right? It's like you, they don't realize that no matter how hard you throw down for the trans, you know, political movement, as a woman, as a female, it will never be enough, right? So even, I don't know if you saw this, but, when Leslie Feinberg died, um, mm-hmm. you know, who she was so supportive of the trans politics. She, I don't think that I know of publicly, at least I don't think she ever spoke out about the sexism. And they still called her, well, at least from my perspective, the people I knew were calling her a trans misogynist when she died. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and the same thing happened to awful. the Indigo yeah. Girls. The yeah. Indigo Girls who participated in that awful transparent episode that mocks Mishfest. I don't know if you saw that. I saw that. It was awful. Yeah. Okay. Well, so the Indigo Girls are, you know, pretty much traitors to Mishfest. And I read an article that um, was written by some trans activists, advocates, denouncing them. Saying, you know, like you said, it's just never enough. And here they are so loyal to the trans flag and you know their flag of of Mishfest which is right. I mean, they were welcomed with open arms at Mishfest. I mean it's just yeah. amazing the the role of female socialization in this particular moment in history right now because you know if so there had been a rock and roll festival with a bunch of guys, there would have been violence but because it was a bunch of women it was like only women you know i had a friend who i'm talking about mishfest in the year 2013 okay Um, the indigo girls played and they issued a statement on 
the internet beforehand saying, this will be our last time we play this trans-misogynistic festival because uh, we don't agree with their policy and we're going to make a statement from the stage, you know, and all this stuff. And so, of course, that caused this huge worry and kind of an uproar and women feeling awkward and... Yeah. And and then and then on the ground at the festival, just noting how embraced they were, and then when they went up on stage, they didn't carry through with one of their threats to mm. make an announcement about trans women belong here or whatever. All they said was, and it broke my heart, thank you, Lisa Vogel. We love Mishfest. We're so, so happy to be here. That's what they said. Oh, and so uh, seeing how women deal with conflict on the ground in a mass situation like that and how, you know, men deal with it or male-dominated society, I just have so much faith in women that if we can wake up from this trans consciousness that has grabbed hold of our imaginations and our ability to think for ourselves, what wondrous societal ideas and things could we co-create if women actually had that unity and that power you know right it's so true and um i think i think a huge part of the the trans politics is the reason why they're they're taking these spaces is because they recognize the power of spaces like mishfest and they want that for themselves like I don't know if you know about uh, Toby Hillmeyer, who is a pretty prominent trans activist currently working on, you know, anti-bathroom law type stuff. Uh, he's also um, a pornographer. Um, and he basically designed our strategy for, for Q&A. Um, but he was uh, raised by a lesbian couple who went to Mishfest. So I think, he, he, you know, he was sort of raised with this longing for this great space that he knew he wasn't a part of. And I think on a broader level, it really is about that for them um, in terms of facing feminism as this uh, powerful threat to male supremacy. And they want part of it. They want to, you know, Trojan horse into it and then kind of defang it, I think, in many ways. Hmm. So, um, Well, they see yeah. it as a threat to male supremacy. I don't know about that. They see it as a threat to them being able to do whatever they want and go and be h- however they want. But getting, I mean, that that opens up a whole can of worms just talking about male supremacy. And in my conversations here in Madison, in my neighborhood, and um, just with people I've known for a long time, often when they're, people pick my brain, you know, they ask me questions. And right. sometimes it's pretty hostile. And other times they're really, really curious, you know. Yeah. So if we, do we, do we as feminists want or are we asserting that there's female supremacy? And is that what we want? Or do we want equality between, you know, what what, what is it that we want? Mm, I mean, I think there's so many different goals, but they're all about female liberation. And I don't personally think that female supremacy could happen in this society the way it's set up now, nor do I think that that should be the feminist goal. Mm-hmm. Um of course, you know, but I think male supremacy is really, it's a system of power and understanding that really 
helps me kind of place sort of all these reactionary philosophies like gender identity and things like that. Yeah, how are male supremacy and male privilege and entitlement related in what we're seeing play out in our politics of the day? Sure. I mean, I think uh, the idea that you can identify with an oppressed group based off of the stereotypes associated with that group or your inner sense of what being in that group means I think that's a very entitled point of view. I think deciding that, um, I think there's a huge problem with validation, with uh, wanting your identity to be validated and expecting women to do that labor. And I think that's a form of male entitlement. So I think a lot of the, I guess, the goals of the trans movement are about that. I mean, even when you when you read articles about how we should center trans women in the abortion rights movement, and actually we should be centering their right to cheap sperm banking over abortion, you know, abortion. The idea that, yeah, that identifying with the oppressed group, not only that, but that the oppressed group should take their liberation movement, which is only, you know, which is not come to fruition at all yet, that they should take their movement and then center you in it as the oppressor. I think that that can only come out of the experience of growing up entitled. You know, yeah, and, you know, even, of course, this manifests, like, on an individual level on how men treat women in the movement. But, yeah, but I think it's it's also about the broader goal. It's about colonizing womanhood, you know. Yeah. How do friends and family view what you did at Smith now that things have died down and have things died down? So I'm not super, you know, in touch with a lot of my friends who – who I was in Q&A with, um, maybe three or four women have reached out to me and said, wow, I'm I'm totally with you. I think what we did was nuts, and we've had great conversations. But the women who are still in that, you know, don't talk to me now. But I, I from what I know, the end goal of Q&A, um, according to the two trans women who were leading it, we were all, you know, their allies. So according to them, um, the main goal was that after we got the policy change, that it would become a trans woman-only support group, which is, yeah, so that, that it would be a group to support them on campus and things like that. So, yeah, I don't I don't know um, if they're still meeting. I assume that, that they are, and I'm is sure an there's more and more trans women. Is there an equivalent group at your current campus? Well, there's not a group that's based around reforming admissions policies because it's a co-ed school, but there is the transgender organization, which is, uh, you know, really active in all the same kind of dynamics around silencing free speech, especially from women. You know, they do the same kind of things like, and supporting you know, binder exchange women. programs. Centering supporting trans, trans women. women, absolutely, yes. They they um, have famous trans women come and speak. They're Ooh, Laverne Cox kind of, yeah. and uh, what's the name of the other guy, Mock, Janet Mock? Yes. Yeah. Did you work with any of those celebrities at Smith? Earlier on, you said that you spoke with people on a national level in the trans movement. Mm-hmm. So I never met Laverne Cox. I did meet Janet Mock. He came to 
to speak at Smith, and uh, there was a reception with a Q&A beforehand, and he spent about, you know, 45 minutes talking to the trans woman who was in our group. Uh, away from and, everyone else. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. Um, because I believe, I, I always get Janet Mock and Laverne Cox mixed up, but I know one of them has been mentoring Lila Perry, who you probably know about, the teenager. Right, and, right. I'm not sure which one that is, but Janet is the one who went to, who was on Piers Morgan um, and was a, an editor at People Magazine, I think, and then came out as transgender. But uh, he wrote that book, Redefining Realness. Right. Which is kind of ironic. We can talk about that. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. And, and, and this stuff has infiltrated into, infiltrated and hijacked feminist organizations throughout the country, mm. Madison yes. Now. The ex-president of Madison Now recommended that book, um, Redefining Realness, when, you know, like I said, I, I don't have an aggressive way of presenting these ideas or, you know, mm-hmm. like I can be passionate when I'm talking, and especially with somebody who's sympathetic like yourself, but I really right. watch my P's and my Q's. And I yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so anyhow, at this time, she recommended, this was when I was organizing a, a women's music festival here in Madison called the Madison Women's Music and Arts Festival. I only got to do it two years in a row. The first year, I mean, it's kind of a miracle that I even got to do this. The first year was 2013, and Madison now had jumped on board to, you know, co-sponsor it and stuff. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh, good, shoo, that stuff that happened in the Twin Cities is over and done with because I, my peak trans, and later on I'd like to hear what your definition of peak trans is um, and when you had your peak trans moment. Mine was when being an accepted environmental activist, somebody who rides her bike across the country and confronts police states head on, you know, mm-hmm. in the street. Yeah. I noticed some just straight-up sexism in our movement, you know? Yeah, And I wanted right. to, so, so, did, so did some of my sister comrades. And so yeah. I wanted to do a workshop at the Twin Cities Anarchist Book Fair about sexism in the movement. And I was labeled transphobic because I used the terms female-bodied and male-bodied. Um, oh, and gosh, that was yeah. in 2012. And so that was my peak trans moment because no matter what I said and no matter how much I apologized and no matter how I used every, what do they call that in gender stereotyping, feminine wiles, you know, I used every (laughs) feminine thing I could think of to like bend over backwards. Like it sounds like your friend did when she posted on the university forum. Right, Um, right, yeah. and, and, And they just... It, it's they're very much essentialists. Like once a turf, yeah. always a turf, you know. But right. I thought I had escaped it, and then the president of Madison's now chapter, National Organization for Women, completely mm-hmm. infiltrated and hijacked by this ideology. Um, oh no! She got a hold of the zine that I wrote about my experiences in the Twin Cities. Well, actually, I gave her that scene. She overheard something, I guess. And it oh, caused gosh. this huge stir. And the show went on. I mean, the the Madison, I mean, it was, and we had amazing performers 
and we had a DJ outside on the patio. We had spoken word. We had oh, dance. We had drumming. I mean, it was such an awesome community, and, and everybody was included. You know, everybody could come. But I wouldn't take it so far to be like, trans women are especially invited to be at our thing. You know what I mean? Right. It was just open to everyone. So and you weren't trying to even make it female only. Oh my gosh! I couldn't. I couldn't make it female only because at the time I was conversing with some radical feminists online. Who I've since moved from that particular group to a different particular group of radical feminists who are more activist oriented. Mm-hmm. But they were saying. And I was just asking them for advice as I went along. I'm like, should I try it? Should I dare? Should I try to make it women only? And they're right, like, right. yeah, try. Just try. So it can't hurt to ask, you know. And so I called oh, up the God. bar. I called up the bar and I talked to the bar owner. And I said, is it okay if we make this Women's Music and Arts Festival a women-only event? And she paused and she said, oh, I don't think so because the door guy that night is a man and so is the sound guy and so is the bartender. They're my employees. I just can't. Yeah, and I don't, I'm don't. i not comfortable with that, she said. And that was the mm. end of our conversation. I hung up the phone, and I, you know, wiped off my brow in relief, and I was like, phew, I don't have to deal with that. It's open to everyone. Yeah. There's no way they're going to be able to call me hateful, you know? Right. I'm so, so even with all that, wow. Right. Even with all yeah. that, they found a way to call me hateful. And the end result was the president of Madison now sending out a press release the night before the event condemning me, pointing me out. Oh, I'm so sorry. And asking me to step down from, it's it's such a wonderful idea to have this Madison Women's Music and Arts Festival, but this, and it was my idea, Sarah, but this particular organizer Really, the best and most responsible thing for her to do is to step down. You know, to to, to sit down and shut up, right? That's what they always say. Yeah, sit down and shut up is basically what they say. And then in a private exchange, because I had all these leftist men who were like, let's have a debate like we used to do in the old days, the socialists versus the... You know, Democrats. I or wish that were still the ways we could handle things on the left. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I took this. I took this man's advice. This older, you know, hippie from the '60s type guy. I took uh-huh. his advice and I wrote to the president of of um, Madison's chapter of now, and I said, "Hey, maybe we could have a public debate. Like, I really don't feel like this festival that's raising money for women in prison." is the best place to have this discussion, but I think we could have this discussion and I'd be happy to. Yeah, that's great. And then she wrote back and she said, "This, this, none of this is up for debate. That's right, rude. right. That's rude mm. for you to even suggest that any of this is debatable. And then she recommended Redefining Realness by <laughs> Janet Mock. Oh, yeah. my God. Well, it's like... The condescension is so strong, but then I have to realize, okay, I I would have sent that email a few years ago, you know what I mean? Oh, and that gives me so much hope, Sarah. Talk talk about peak trans. What is peak trans, and when and how did you reach it? Sure. Okay, so 
from what I understand and talking to many, many other women who have experienced this, it's kind of an aha moment, as Oprah would say, where you realize, hey, this movement is really sexist. This ideology is really sexist, and I can't continue any longer, nor can I pretend to go along with it because it's really harmful to women. And for me, that happened, I kind of say, you know, slowly, the questioning and the questioning, and then there was a couple points where it was just the final straw, you know, the final straw of, wow, I can't be in this group anymore, wow, I can't be in this movement anymore, and then, okay, I can't even be in touch with these individual people because they're so wrapped up in this, you know, kind of cultish mentality. So for me, it was um, sort of this... uh, It was maybe like a year and a half long process, actually, but the first kind of inklings I had were, okay, so when I research feminist issues like pornography and prostitution and rape and capitalism and all these different things, a lot of the women whose work I admire the most and whose work really resonates with me and uh, my experience as a woman in patriarchy are the same women who I'm told that their books should be burned because they're turfs. Right, And so I started thinking about that. What does that mean? What does it mean that I'm not allowed to read Andrea Dworkin because some people think she may be transphobic? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. What does it mean where I'm trying to broaden my horizons? And even just on the Internet, even just following a certain blog, what does it mean that, that I'll then have friends who are saying, why are you following this blog? Why did you like this post? Why are you sympathizing with church? Mm-hmm. People who will say things like, okay, why would you reblog um a post from a radical feminist, I'm sure a trans woman has said the same thing much better. Why don't you blog it from a trans woman? <laughs> Just things like that, you know. So I'm so I'm noticing how much surveillance is there is, how much um how much you're not allowed to question. So that's yeah, happening good and at the same time. Yeah, and then that to me. I mean, that's what was happening in the 1950s under McCarthy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So who are these the people? Level of surveillance. Who, yeah. Where do they get their funding? I mean, let's talk. Let's talk, talk larger politics. I mean, I know that they deny up and down that this is political, and say this is not political. This is just about persons and pe- individuals who have these, you know, inner senses of themselves or whatever, and they're asserting. Mm-hmm. Or if right. they admit it's political, they're like, oh, it's just this benign goal of. Making it so everyone can express themselves, but that's not, we know that's not what it is, you know. Right. And so what, where, who are the real trans women? You know what I'm saying? Like, we, you and I both know that trans women are men, but mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is the ones that are just, I mean, I know there's Janet Mock, and I know that there's Laverne Cox, and they put a very nice face on it. You know, which is yes. unfortunate because, but but the ones that you were dealing with, like in these in, in at Smith College and the yeah. other fella you mentioned who um is also a pornographer, like mm-hmm. I've I've heard on the internet, okay, I've heard this, and so I don't, <laughs> and I have not done a lot of research on it, so I really don't know that a lot of these men who are the real trans women, you know, the activists. Yeah. The, the trans, the trans activists, activists, yes, but not the are flip. in right. computer fields, so they're yes. they're in computer software engineering things like that. They're also ex-military men. Mm-hmm. Um, where do they get their money? Is there money involved with this politics, Sarah? 
Right. Well, I mean, I can't give you specifics, but I do know that there are women researching, you know, where, you know, organizations like Transgender Law Center and things like that, where they get their funding from. And there are a lot of very wealthy men who identify as women, right? Like the, um, you have the Wachowski brothers, for example, right? Those two brothers who directed the Matrix movies. You have all these different high-profile, wildly, um, you know, wealthy men. And they just have more power than us, right? So in a way, like, they have all these resources. A lot of them, yeah, a lot of them were in the military. Um, That's, like, acknowledged by trans people, and they kind of say it's because, you know, if you have issues with your masculinity, of course you want to go into the military to, like, prove yourself, et cetera, et cetera. There is, yeah, basically from any really male-dominated field, I think that there are going to be some men who who are trans women. Um, And it's really frightening, you know, when you talk about Tony Dorsey, who was an ex-sniper, who says things like, you know, when a woman calls him a man, he'll be like, really, you want to pick piss off an ex-sniper and that kind of thing. Um, there was another ex-military trans woman who was on, who threatened someone on television for calling her, for calling him male, things like that. And so, yeah, I agree. Like, if all trans women were like Laverne Cox, that would be maybe a different story. Yeah. Um, although, yeah. E- although even Laverne, right, I mean, she had to... Back off, retract her support for for that um, Cynthia China Blast, that murderer, um, because so Sylvia Rivera Law Project is so involved with prison abolition that they're choosing to stand up for prisoners who are rapists and murderers of little girls, um, and then Laverne really went along with that uncritically. Um, and of course, you can support prisoners' rights and an end to mass incarceration and an end to solitary confinement, but also support, you know, girls and women. Um, and, and he didn't seem really interested in that beyond, like, PR. Um, so I think right. it, when you when you look into even these, like, nice-seeming celebrities, there's a lot of, like, sexism and male entitlement and that kind of thing. But, right, but the, you know, the ones who are, like, um, that Allison uh, man who... Uh, who was running Turf Tracker, turned out to be a sex offender. A lot of the, um, especially online trans activists oh, are I'm just going to play the devil's advocate yeah. for a moment, okay? So sure, you're yeah. saying that trans women are, all trans women are not sexual predators. Just these, mm-hmm. maybe they're, and I've not seen, and I've been hearing this a lot lately, Sarah. There's no evidence that, Trans women are sexual predators, you know? Yeah, I hear that a lot, too. So, um, um, <laughs> like, how would I respond to that, that, are you asking? There's case after case of, yeah, yeah. you know, so when they say there's no evidence, how come they can't see that like we can on the Internet? You know what I mean? Do they think all of those law cases are, uh, or those legal cases are fabricated? I think what they'll say is, um, oh, this was a man in a dress, not an actual trans oh, woman. Not a real tra- but who are the real trans women? Who but there are, are actual trans women who have done the same thing. One of my friends compiled a list of self-identified trans women so that they can't make that argument. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, there's so many of them, the actual trans ones and then the men who wear women's clothing alike, they both do that. So I guess the way I respond to it is that, 
it's not, I'm not, you know, that we're not making any claims about people who identify as trans women being sexual predators. What we are doing is acknowledging that the vast majority of sex offenders are biological men. And when the trans community is defining trans women to mean any biological man who asserts a gender identity at any time, then, of course, some of those men doing that might be doing it for the wrong reasons, might be sex offenders. Um, I do think there needs to be more, you know, research and data. There's one Swedish study, but there needs to be more about the differences, if any, between, you know, violence in biological men who identify as men and biological men who identify as women. Because I would probably um, suggest that there but there is not a huge difference, especially because to transition, you know, it's not like you have to go through any type of reflective process or any type of um, feminist, you know, it's not like to become a woman in this culture, you have to really sort of let go of your male socialization. It's very much all about how you look, right? So there's nothing about being a trans woman that makes you any any way more safe than a regular man. That's kind of how I see it. But, of course, you can't put it that way because then they just shut down the second you say trans women, trans women are biologically men, you know. Yeah, um, I'm, we're going to have to wrap this up, but I wanted to um, hear your story of taking a feminist class at your current liberal arts college that you're attending. And sure. then also just hear your thoughts about... Um, moving forward into the future, thoughts and, and advice for young women who are ap applying to colleges and, you know, maybe want to start up their own feminist study group, albeit underground uh, because of right. the climate. <laughs> so if you could just end the interview um, with that, answering those questions, that'd be really great. Sure. Okay, so quickly what happened to me was that um, I signed up for a class that was based around a book by Sylvia Federici called Caliban and the Witch. Um, and it's a historical, uh, critical Marxist look at the witch hunts of women in Europe. So we're going through this book, and I'm really liking the class. We get to about the second day, and someone points out that Federici does not include trans women in this analysis, and that Federici refers to the female body and that Federici says that uteruses are female organs. And they're very upset about this. And I raise my hand and say, uh, because we're all going through our paper topics, so this person is going to be writing about how awful the book is and how exclusive it is. And I, I, I raised my hand and I said, well, maybe I can write about why the uterus is important to female experience. And so I get an email that day from my professor saying, the subject is a spot of drama. So that kind of tells you where her, um, you know, that it's it, it's all about, uh, you know, people's feelings and not necessarily about a classroom learning environment. So she says, um, basically, people are really upset with what you said in class today. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can forward you this email stream. It's kind of too too crazy to believe. But she eventually tells me, Look, the trans women in your class feel unsafe when you question gender identity. And she said to me, I'll never forget, the, the idea that trans women are women is not up for debate. <laughs> and right. this is the senior women's studies professor at my university. Um, and in many ways, I guess I wasn't surprised because she's a queer studies Foucault scholar. 
but I guess I was surprised that it was just stated so blatantly that I couldn't debate or question that idea. And in writing. Yes, in writing. And so eventually she just asked me to take the class from home because she said that if I couldn't basically shut up, not that she said it that way, but if I couldn't stop questioning the gender identity stuff, even though it, um, even though our 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 book was supposed to be about, you know, female experience, if I couldn't, you know, basically stop doing that, that I should just take it from home. So I paid the regular fee to not go to any lectures or any discussions and to just send in my papers. And at the end of the class, we had to write a political manifesto. And so I wrote a manifesto about how this this was all very sexist, and I got credit for that. But it, it was really frustrating to to not be able to take the class because I was so interested in the course. And I was willing to, to sit there and um, and have them think badly of, of me. I've, I've gotten more of a thick skin, so I was willing to do that. But it was uh, shocking that that um, that I was asked to leave. I guess, yeah. So my um, my biggest advice to women my age, besides you know, before you get in any type of group, you know, investigate for yourself, question it, don't let men, no matter what they identify as, tell you what to think. Um, don't let anyone tell you what to think. But also, um, I would say here's some other advice. Is that is to get offline as much as possible, to talk to people who you disagree with as much as possible, and to form sisterhoods as much as possible, um, especially with women who you might not from the outset agree with on politics. Um, I found that a lot of my growth as a person and some of my best friendships are really with women who, you know, at first I thought were turfs. <laughs> and things like that. Um, so I would really encourage, you know, use the Internet to make groups and then go meet in person and then go do real activism. Um, don't get stuck in these insular, um, safe space type liberal communities. I think in general, feminist activism, you know, needs to be kind of freed from all of that. Um, so, yeah, I guess just for women to stay strong and to realize that, you know, you know your truth, you, you know, you know you're not a horrible bigot. And to just have the, uh, even though it's so hard the way we're raised, to just have the confidence to assert your own beliefs and and debate them and uh, be open to new ideas. Because I think that's what being college should be about. Um, and I, I do think I, you know, wasted a lot of time um, trying to press my, my ideology onto others, even though I thought it was, like, for the greater good, instead of listening to all the, you know, amazing women with different opinions and all of that. Um, so I guess for me, it's really about having the guts to speak your truth, but also to be open to new ideas. That's really crucial. And I think that's very undervalued right now in campus activism in general. So. Thank you, Sarah Barr-Fraz, for a wonderful conversation. What grade did you get in that class that you had to take off campus? I got a great a great grade. I think in some ways they might have been trying to cover, cover themselves because I think they knew that if I, you know, failed or – I mean, I think right. by the college policy I should have failed for not going to the lectures, right? But I right. got a good grade. So they gave you – uh, I'm definitely uncomfortable <laughs> with that. And uh, I've been talking to um, – the administration at the school about all of this, about all of the turf hunt stuff and letting them know that that was unacceptable. Um, 
hopefully something some change will happen. Of women who you're working with, you said I think mm-hmm. six. Yeah, around uh, six of us more every day come 